Well, good morning, everyone. If you're a regular at our online services, uh, you'll know that most weeks we end with a blessing from the Northumbria community. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you, wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. One of the many things I love about that blessing is the way that it ends with the hope and the promise of joy, with the promise that God would transform our struggles, our pain, our fear, our grief, our exhaustion, our angst, and that he would bring joy. This is a, a statue of Julian of Norwich. It's found in Norwich Cathedral. Uh, and a couple of weeks ago, Colin Cross quoted uh, from Julian in his prayers. Uh, it's a very well-known, a very famous quote, which goes like this. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. I dug out that quote this week, and I had a look at the, the wider context within which uh, she wrote those words. And a few lines later, she says this. And we shall endlessly joy in our Lord. Isn't that wonderful? We shall endlessly joy, find joy, experience joy in our Lord. The writer of Psalm 30 knew the same truth. Weeping may endure or may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Eugene Peterson puts it like this, the nights of crying your eyes out give ways to days of laughter. When I think about laughter, I think about the story of Abraham and Sarah uh, when they were already grandparent age. God promised them descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. But as the years passed, so their hopes faded. Until one day when three mysterious visitors arrived with the news that within a year Sarah would bear a child. And Sarah laughs when she hears the news. It's a bitter laugh. It's the kind of ironic laugh that actually says, don't make me laugh. The kind of self-protective laugh which hides and masks the tears, the hurt, the disillusionment. But a year later, she holds Isaac, her newborn, in her arms. Her tears and her pain are transformed to joy. And Sarah says, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And of course, to emphasize the point, the child is named Isaac, which means... He laughs, or he will laugh. And that story does not stand in isolation. Time and time again in the biblical narrative, there are these moments, these instants, where God brings life in the midst of tears. The tears of human barrenness and failure and hopelessness and, and impotence. And God brings joy and God brings life. Originally, there was nothing, but God speaks and creation comes into being. Without God speaking, there would be nothing. No universe, no earth, no people, no you, no me. And God comes to the tired, barren and disillusioned Sarah and her husband. God comes and speaks life into her womb. Without God, there would be no life. And centuries later, Abraham's descendants are slaves in Egypt, 
a barren nature, without hope and without a future. And God speaks, let my people go, that they may worship me. Without God, Israel would still be in Egypt. And more centuries later, Israel is in exile in Babylon. The situation seems hopeless. And God says, comfort ye my people. I'm preparing a desert, a highway for you to go home. Without God, Israel would still be in Babylon. There would be nothing. And yet more centuries later, the Gabriel Gabriel visits Mary, a virgin, and tells her that she will bear the Lord. Without God, there will be nothing. And yet Jesus is here. And in Jesus' ministry, the blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and tears of grief and shame and hopelessness and rejection are turned to laughter and celebration. Wherever Jesus went, he left lives transformed. He left joy. Over and over and over again in the biblical story, things seem bleak. The outlook looks hopeless and then God gives birth to joy. Barrenness gives way to life. Slavery to freedom, exile to homecoming, despair to hope and death to resurrection. Over and over and over again, God turns tears or bitter laughter into the overflowing laughter of joy. And every single time it comes as a surprise. Someone said, and sadly I can't remember who it was, the Bible is not a series of judgments designed to make us all failures and catch us out as miserable sinners. It's a whisper, a rumour, a meme, a subversive word of resistance that gathers into a crescendo saying there's a story bigger than the story you think you're in. It will embrace you and lift you up when you're at your moment of despair. It will surprise you even when you've immersed yourself in its patterns. However much you weep and mourn, one day you will laugh. And I wonder whether that's effectively what Jesus is saying to the disciples this morning. You are part of a much bigger story than you realize. God is doing something spectacular. And nothing will ever be the same for you and for the world. And however many tears you're about to shed, there will be joy. We're in John 16, back to where we were two weeks ago, around the table at the Last Supper. In a few short hours, Jesus is going to be taken from his disciples. He will be arrested, and by this time tomorrow, he'll be dead. In a short while, he will be taken from them, and they will see him no more. And they will weep and they will mourn because their friend is dead. And they will weep and they will mourn because they know that they will know that they have let him down. They have betrayed him. And more than that, they will mourn because their hope has been taken away from them. We all need hope, don't we? And their hope is about to be taken away.
in a little while, Jesus says, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. I'm about to be taken away. You're not going to see me, Jesus said. But don't be afraid because my leaving is part of a much, much bigger story. And you will see me again. And scholars debate here whether or not Jesus is talking about his resurrection when his disciples certainly did see Jesus again or about the promise that Jesus will come again at the end of time to draw human history together where heaven and earth will be reunited and we will see him face to face and be with him forever. And the most obvious answer is that Jesus is talking about his resurrection. I'll be back, he's telling them. And we will be together, and you will see me, at least for a while. Jesus is talking about his resurrection, but not just about his resurrection. You see, too often we separate what should be drawn together. Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, the coming of the Spirit to empower the church. And the promise of Jesus' return, they're not separate divine initiatives. But they're part of one big divine act. Whereby God is restoring and reconciling all of creation to himself. And in verse 21, Jesus uses the image of childbirth. And how giving birth is painful. But how that pain soon gets swallowed up by the joy of this new life. Now, in the past, I've got myself into trouble talking about childbirth in a sermon. I thought that being present at the birth of my four children gave me a deep insight into the whole experience. But my wife begged to differ. You know that moment when your wife rolls their eyes at you and you just need to shut up? That, that. So it's probably not safe for me to go there this morning. But some of you may be familiar with Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66 is the climax of Isaiah's whole prophecy. And it ends with that imagery of a new heaven and a new earth that gets picked up at the end of of Revelation. But in Isaiah 66, giving birth is used as a metaphor for the birth of God's new age of shalom, of peace, where everything that despoils life And human community in our relationship with God is is destroyed. And we are reconciled to God and to each other. And to the whole created order. And there is joy. And there is joy. So you have pain now, Jesus says. But I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. I know that for many of us, the last few months have been flipping tough. And maybe at times you felt like you were just about hanging on, holding out, waiting for things to get better. And maybe you're still hanging on. And if I'm honest, the road ahead still looks tough. Not just for us, but for the whole world. The virus is not going away soon. And let's not forget that worldwide... The number of cases shows no sign of slowing down. And there are challenges for all of us. There are personal challenges. There are economic challenges. There are political challenges. 
there are community challenges that we need to face together. There are, there are challenges that we, we face in the church. How do we live with uncertainty? How do we live faithfully and wisely and generously in the world? How do we enjoy and celebrate those relationships that are important to us? And to meet those challenges, we're going to need all the resilience and all the courage and all the faith and all the love that we can get. And we're going to need all the hope that we can get. Where does, where does your hope come from? I'll let you tell you about my hope. My hope comes from the fact that I am held by God's love. The never stopping, never giving up, unbreakable, death defeating, eternal love of God. A hope that is enacted and expressed in Jesus Christ. The love which has conquered sin and death and which floods the world with life and love. And my hope comes from the fact that I am this part of this great big story. The story that I've been telling this morning. The story that holds me and shapes me and defines me in many ways. My hope comes from the fact that my meaning and, va- the meaning and value of my life does not come from me. Does not come from what I say or do. From my success or failure. Ultimately it comes from God. The God who promises to turn our weeping into joy. And it comes from the conviction that we will see Jesus face to face. Brothers and sisters, we're part of a bigger and a better story. Asking you will receive, Jesus says, right at the end of that passage, ask and you will receive. And so we ask for the grace and the strength to carry on. For the grace and the strength to love when we're feeling rubbish. For the grace and strength to serve those who are hardest hit at this time. And we ask too that we might see him on the journey. That we might sense his touch, his embrace. And we ask too that joy might meet us. That joy might gather us up in her arms. We ask for hope. And we ask that we too might laugh at the wonders he has shown us. And we ask that hope might be birthed again within us. In Jesus' name. May God bless you all. Amen.